Well, good to see you tonight. We are over in Acts chapter 19, having joined up with Paul in the what would be known as the third missionary journey. There wasn't too much of a break, it didn't seem, in the chapters between the second and third, but he came back to Antioch and then headed back out again. And he's over here in the town of Ephesus, where this time he spends a little bit more time there. And that's where we pick up with him in verse 19. And it describes some of the things that are going on with Paul. And in verse 11, chapter 19, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now for you, as understanding this by the, and the Greek here would be certainly the same as the English, how would we understand the word unusual? Very simplest definition would be not usual. <laughs> or different, uh, not usual. Something that is not common is what this would be. He worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. We are not told all of the unusual miracles. We are told of the handkerchiefs and aprons. That's all. That's all that they mentioned here. But here, as one of the unusual miracles, is that handkerchiefs or aprons were taken from his body to the sick. Now, we might think of this this way. If we apply this this day, we're thinking that the men brought the handkerchiefs and the women brought the aprons. <laughs> that is not the case. This is, they do not live in today. They live in their day. And the women bring the handkerchiefs and the men bring the aprons. The aprons that they bring would be those leather big old aprons in which they would wear when they were some of the manufacturing jobs that they would do. And so the handkerchiefs were brought by the women and the aprons were brought by the men. Not quite the way we would, we would think of it today. And they weren't some light little dainty aprons that you'd put on there, you know, and just uh, fold up. These were heavy leather type of a apron that was there. And so they would take these things and take them on back to the sick. They take them on back to the evil spirits. But it said God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. This is not a case where someone just said, hey, hey Paul, hang on to this handkerchief for a moment. Okay, and then they take it back and then they take, let's see what happens if we bring this to a sick person. That's not how this happened. This is not trial and error that they did this on. What would have probably happened, and we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out, but my estimation is that they're having a meeting, and their God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells Paul, tell people to bring up their handkerchiefs and aprons, and then you hold on to them and you release them. And the same anointing, the same power that is on you will be on them to do the same work. That had to come by revelation, in which he then he called out to the people, bring up your handkerchiefs and aprons, and they brought up their handkerchiefs and aprons, and then he told them what to do with them. And so then they went out and they did that. They had faith, if they had faith to believe it. Now, if they didn't have faith, they wouldn't have brought their handkerchiefs up. They wouldn't have brought their aprons up. Now, here's the thing to be thinking about. We are in the city of Ephesus, and we're bringing, uh, and the men are coming from work, and they have their aprons with them. The women are coming from wherever, uh, home, wherever they came from, and they had their handkerchiefs with them. But when the, this is a, this is a city that is uh, steeped in idolatry. And so one of the things that as we get through this chapter, we're going to find out that Demetrius was, was well, head of a union there. And he got all these guys. They were idol makers. So some of these guys who had aprons 
were in a manufacturing job and could very possibly have been making idols on their job. And they came to the meeting with the apron. Now, maybe somebody else owned the job and they just worked and they had it yet to make what you had to make. And But Paul, in the meetings, we don't find anything about, you know, where's this handkerchief been? What have you been doing when you've been wearing this apron? He doesn't poll them for any of that. He, I don't get the idea that he cares. If you have faith to bring up your apron, you have faith to bring up that handkerchief because of the word of God that he had spoke, I assume that he spoke, then it's going to work. Even if that apron was involved in idolatry, because our God is bigger. Amen. Our God is bigger. Amen. And so just keep that in mind. Sometimes we, uh, we think about, well, what's this uh, thing been used for? And this, we don't know for sure, but, you know, there, Paul brought the gospel in. More than likely, some of the people who got saved were in the trade of making idols. And you don't just replace the job. You've got to, you know, find, if you don't want to do that job anymore, you've got to go find something else out to, to do. In the meantime, they were still reporting to work making the idols. But they, there was anointing on, the, on him that apparently got off on these articles, and they sent them off. But I want you to see this, that the same anointing healed the sick and cast out evil spirits. You didn't put one anointing on the handkerchiefs and one anointing on the aprons. The same anointing went on both. And it didn't say that the handkerchiefs had to go to those that were sick and the aprons had to go to those who were demon-possessed. Sometimes we get the idea that demon spirits takes a heavier anointing to get rid of than sickness and disease. And apparently it doesn't. It's the same anointing that will do both. Sometimes we get this idea that we've got to be out there fasting and praying. And we don't need to be doing that. You need to get under the anointing. Let that anointing work through you. And by the same Spirit of God that you tell disease to go, you tell the evil spirits to go. And if you see it as anything different, then to you it will be different. But not to the disease and evil spirits. The same anointing healed the sick and cast out evil spirits. They didn't have one pile for sick people and one pile for demon-possessed people. They just brought them up. He took hold of them. So there are two ministries associated with handkerchiefs and aprons. In the Word of God, we only have two ministries that are associated with handkerchiefs and aprons. And it's not that, you know, you have to go back there and get a leather apron or whatever kind of handkerchief. This is just what they had. And they brought what they had up for, for Paul. And so then they went out there and did that. Now, we've changed this since then. And you'll find this a lot of times it's no longer an unusual miracle. It's now become a commonplace miracle. Because you'll, you'll go into some churches and you'll, uh, at the back, at the bookstore, you can buy books. You can buy tapes, and you can buy napkins that you can bring up and have prayed over. Uh, some churches won't let you bring anything else but what they have in the bookstore. That's, that's a, if you want them to be prayed over, you have to go get one of their ones in the place and then bring it on up, and they'll see their pile of, of stuff, and, uh, and that's what they'll do. Now, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not right. But we've made it commonplace now. We've made it like the laying, in, laying on of hands. It's not the laying on of hands. 
Jesus commissioned us. Jesus commissioned others. The word of God commissions us to go out and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It does not ever commission us to lay hands on handkerchiefs and aprons and have them go out. But the same spirit of God that brought this by inspiration to Paul can bring this by inspiration to someone else. But make sure that it's done by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and not by mimic. We can do whatever the Word of God exhorts us to do, but the Word of God never exhorts us to do handkerchiefs and apron ministry. That's why it shouldn't be commonplace. It can still go on, and I believe it will still go on. If there was a place for it in the New Testament, there's a place for it here now. But it is an unusual miracle is how the Word of God labeled it. That means not normal, not usual, not commonplace, different. Laying on of hands is a common miracle. Everyone should be doing that sort of thing. You lay hands on the sick, you lay hands on those that are demon-possessed, and it goes. But there are places, there are times that you cannot get there. And this is one of the ways that this could be done. There's faith involved in the person who brings the material. And then when they take it to them, they'll, they'll tell the people. They don't just lay the thing on them, I'm, I'm sure. And we don't really have too much uh, told to us about what they did when they took the material out. But I'm sure that they told them. I would think that they would have told him. We were at Paul's meeting. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us to bring up our handkerchiefs and, and uh, aprons. We brought them up. And uh, when I lay this on you, the power of God's going to come upon you for, for this. And they would have to have some faith in that as well. But the anointing would, would, uh, would carry over there. But only two ministries. There are no handkerchief and apron, apron ministries for finances. <laughs> it's not there. It's not in the Word of God. There are no handkerchief and apron ministries for other types of things. There are two things in the Word of God that it says for handkerchiefs and aprons. Healing and casting out devil spirits. That's it. You cannot add to it. People have. People do. But uh, that's not in the Word of God. You've got to go with what's in the Word. And especially since this is an unusual miracle, we don't find this all, all commonplace all around in the Word of God. We have to go with what we have here. I do believe it will still go on today. I don't believe it goes on with every minister or every believer. It will go on with some, as God would give them inspiration to do so. And, uh, and you know, the signs will be following. I've just seen it as a whole lot more commonplace than I think it ought to be. But we, we go on here. I wanted to flip on over to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth when he had been brought up or where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. How many times is the word anointing used? Only one time. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. Does it take anointing to preach the gospel? Yes, it does. He has, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Does it take anointed, anointing to heal the brokenhearted? To proclaim liberty to the captives? Does it take anointing to proclaim liberty to those who are bound? Recovery of sight to the blind? Does it take anointing 
for people who are blind to recover their sight. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are bound up, to set them free. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What I want you to see here is he mentions the anointing one time and then it mentions the things that the anointing does. He does not say he's anointed me to preach. He does not say he's anointed me to heal. He does not say and put anointing before each one. He says one time the Lord has anointed me. Because the Lord has anointed me, these are the things that come from it. We do not need to be anointed for each thing that we do. We get the anointing of God on us, and under that anointing, we do what God told us to do. You don't need some, well, I need to get a special anointing in order to work in this area. Go back to the words of Jesus. He has anointed me to, and Jesus is just quoting what's in the Old, the Old Testament. It's prophesied about Messiah. There is an anointing on us. That anointing, that one anointing, will empower you to do all the things that are done. When a priest was brought into the service of the Lord, he was anointed into that position. How many different things did the priest do? Quite a few. There were quite a few, quite a few responsibilities of the priest, but they had one anointing. Don't get this mentality that, well, I've got an anointing for that. I have to wait until the anointing comes on me for this. No, you have been anointed. Now, what has God called you to do? And if God expands that call, that anointing will cover it. One anointing for whatever job you are in. If one anointing worked for Jesus to do all the things he did, one anointing will work for you. <laughs> Don't get this idea that we have to be anointed many times. No, just once. That's how powerful God's anointing is. Then we get into some fun chapters, some verses here. Some fun verses here. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Now, look at this. We always associate... We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, with the seven sons of Sceva. I want you to understand, there's a whole mess of them that do it. We're only talking about the seven sons of Sceva. We are talking about the one episode that happened with them, but others did this as well. Look at the wording. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves. They took it upon themselves. Never a good thing to take upon yourself anything. And let God put it on you to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva. So beside them, there are these. So there's a whole mess of people out there doing this. They, they saw Paul doing it and they went out and they did it as well. Now, before we get into all the ins and outs about this part of it, I want you to notice something about the seven sons of Sceva. Now, before we do that, let me ask you this question. Who wrote Acts? You all know this. Luke wrote Acts. Good. We're going to go over to Luke. Who wrote Luke? Luke wrote Luke. Luke wrote Acts, right? I just want you to understand, both books are written by the same guy. Luke chapter 11, verse 15. But, then, but some of them said he cast out demons by, Zeel, by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself 
is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Who is he talking to? The rulers of the Jews. He is talking to the rulers of the Jews. The seven sons of Sceva are who? Sons of the Jewish chief priest. When Jesus is saying that who do your sons cast them out? He is speaking of sons of the Jewish leaders, which would include the Jewish chief priest priest because apparently his sons were in the business of exercising demons when luke writes about it in luke and luke then writes about it in acts and if he has the same thing in mind he probably doesn't relate the two together because he assumes you already have jesus is dealing with the rulers of the jews and he speaks to them by whom do your sons Jesus is not just talking about people in the Jewish kingdom. He is talking to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders. And I think if I would have gone back far enough, you would have actually seen the, the, the high priest or the, the Jewish priest or, or something like that in there. But anyway, the, the Jewish leaders, we see that they're in there. He, he may very well have the seven sons of Sceva in mind, knowing that they're out there exercising demons. And so he says, if you want to pick on me for it, your sons are doing the same thing. How are they doing it? Now, most times that people accuse others of a thing, they're generally guilty of it themselves, right? Isn't that the way it usually is? <laughs> and so when they come and they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, what would you begin to think from that? They may know that this isn't quite the, the, the way that it's supposed to be done. But they're going out there and they're doing it anyway. So anyway, I just wanted you to see that, that Luke is probably running into these guys again, but he's already run into them before when he, when he saw Jesus with this, with this group. So the seven sons of Sceva are among those who did so, but not the only ones. These are the sons of the Jewish high priest. But he says in verse 20, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he begins to talk about strong man. You've got to come in, overpower the strong man, and so forth. And in order for all that to, to go on. But when Jesus talks about casting out even evil spirits, he talks about casting them out. And the word for exercise is not there. Now, if you didn't get this in your outline, the seven sons could be the ones Jesus refers to. But the word here, exorcist, it comes from the Greek word that means one that binds by an oath or spell. That's what the word means. One that binds by an oath or spell. We are not called to the ministry of exorcism. We are not called to be exorcists. We should never be called exorcists. We should never go by that name. That name is one that binds by an oath or a spell. That word, when they came to it in the book of Acts, they did not translate the word. They did what they did with the word baptism. They transliterated it. And so they took the Greek word and transliterated it into an English word. 
And we got our word, exorcist. But that's not the word that's normally used when it talks about casting out evil spirits. The usual word for cast out, because that's what Jesus says, he cast out spirits. He cast it, it's always using that, is ek balo. Uh, balo is the word to throw. Ek is the word for out. Throw out is the word that is, that is being used there. Uh, to eject, cast out, drive out, expel, leave, pluck, in, the, in pull, take, or thrust, out, put forth, or put out, send away. Do you get the idea of this, this word? It is to take what is there and to expel it by force and get it out of there. Not one that binds by an oath or spell. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. The seven sons of Sceva and others like them have had an exorcist ministry, so to speak. We use that term loosely, loosely but at least a business. If you remember, uh, Joe McGee was here, the seven sons of Sceva, you know, he had 1-800. How did, how did he put it? 1-800, whatever uh, he, was, he was doing. But that was it. It was a business that had gone on. This is not just a one-time thing. They had a business, and I wanted you to see that this kind of thing was going on back in the day of Jesus. If it was going on back in the day of Jesus, and more than likely back behind that as well. If it goes on for all this time, you need to be doing what in order to continue in it? A couple of things. First off, you need to have success. You need to make money. Right? If this is what you do, you need to make money off of it. So the seven sons of Sceva and those like them charged for the service of exercising the demons and apparently have had some success. If they had no success, no one would call them again. You you wouldn't call them anymore. You'd say, well, no, it's not going to work. We don't necessarily want to do that anymore. Um, But if they had people who, well, we took them to seven sons of Sceva, we took them to so-and-so, and and they uh, exercised the demon, and he was gone. Then that's why they continue on. But here's the question I want you to see that you should be asking when you see this. Paul comes into the city of Ephesus. Paul comes into the, to the region and he sees some of these folks who had, uh, now maybe they moved from, their, from Jerusalem, they moved from, from Judah for persecution, or maybe they moved because Jesus exposed them, or whatever it is, but uh, they've gone from there and they're over here in, in, in this place. And so Paul comes, uh, he doesn't really uh, address them. He doesn't deal with them. He doesn't mess with them at all. He is just dealing with the demon spirits. But he deals with the demon spirits differently. So the seven sons of Sceva and others observe the way Paul is casting out devil spirits. These guys already have a way to do it. They have had some success. They are making money. But something changes when Paul comes over. What they now have is competition. And in the competition, they find that Paul does it in a different manner and more than likely has better success. Now, by better success, I would mean this. When Paul cast them out, they went out. When the seven sons of Sceva, they bound them with a spell or an oath. So that the trouble from the demon spirit stopped. 
but the demon spirit is still there. And so then when the demon spirit begins to rise up and cause trouble again, they'd have to call the seven sons of Sceva, who would then rebind, re- rebind them or re- put a new spell on them. And that would work for a little while. But apparently it's temporary. What Paul does is seen as more permanent and more powerful. Otherwise, why are all of them copying Paul? There's no reason to copy someone else's method of doing it if yours is working just fine. There's no reason to do it. The only reason you alter it is if people suddenly become dissatisfied with what your product is because they've seen something else. This one is nicer over here. This, if, if all we had in this country were Fords, we'd all be buying Fords and we'd all be, I'd be fine. I'd be okay. I'd be, I'd be just fine. But when other, pe- when other companies came on by and, they, and, and people had a, had a choice, some people liked these things better. And they went after, went after that. And so then the competition caused a company like Ford to make cars in more than just black. Because that's what he, Henry Ford used to say. You can have it any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> and so that's what, they, that's what they did. And so, the, you know, they, they had other companies that come on in and they would make them. And, and so that, and, and uh, you know, competition would come in. And if you ever saw that movie Tucker, the automobile Tucker, he came in. He made so much competition for them. They all couldn't handle it. And they all put him out of business. Because that was just, uh, he, his, his cars were way ahead of their time. And uh, they would take them years to catch up to him, and he'd, uh, he'd corner the market. So they had to make sure they got rid of him, and that's the thing they did. But that's what competition will do. It exposes the weakness of their product, but up till then, that's the only way that they, that's the only thing they had. The gospel had not come into this town until Paul brought it in. And so all they had was these exorcists who would come on up, and they would bind it up. It would give the appearance that it would be gone, but, you know, it's still lingering there, or Somehow it was still there. It was, it was at least able to come on back, and it didn't last. It wasn't permanent. And so that's, a, that's the thing that would, that would intrigue these people, that when Paul came by, there was something different. You know right away, these, they're not bound by this anymore, and the thing's not coming back on them. And so it caused the seven sons of Sceva and others to say, we need to tap into this because people are seeing the success that Paul has. So they come on in and they use their method of exercising the demon and then tack on at the end in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. (laughs) They just tack that on there at the end because they got to try and get themselves some association with Paul because of Paul's success. Paul's not charging money for this. They are. They got to try and get that money back in there because they've been making money for this for a little while now. So they got to keep on. Uh, going on with that. So these folks, they came on in and they, uh, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. We exercise you. That's not how Jesus did it. When Jesus did it, I ekbalo you. I cast you out. And they were cast out. But not with, uh, with these guys. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> Jesus I know, I know Jesus. Paul I know, but who are you? 
Now, now think about this for a minute. This, this statement has a whole lot more going for it than just what you see. The demon spirit had been cast out by the seven sons of Sceva and others like them, or at least bound up. And, and they've had interaction with demon spirits before. None of them have ever responded to them in this way. This is the first time this has gone on. By, if they did not do this by the power of God, whose power did they do it by? You're either doing it by the power of God or you're doing it by what? That's it. That's it. Only two powers. You can, now, now, we've run into a problem in this and that, well, we, they can't be by God, right? And they can't be by Jesus or by Satan because Jesus said, if Beelzebub is divided against, if his kingdom is divided, his kingdom will not stand. So obviously Jesus is saying that the devil won't do that, right? No, not at all. Is Satan's kingdom going to stand? No. So, so it's probably more than likely divided. Well, there are people, well, the work of Jesus himself warned us. There will be lying signs and wonders. If the signs and wonders don't come from God, who do they come by? Satan for lying signs. So instead of casting out the demon, all that they did was bind it up for a little while. So they are, think about it this way, they're not working for God. So if they're not working for God, they're working for Satan. If they're working for Satan, who is this spirit that beats them up? Who's he working for? He's working for Satan. He's working for Satan. If the seven sons of Sceva are working for Satan, and this demon spirit is working for Satan... Now look at his statement. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Satan is more mindful of the children of the kingdom than he is of his own. He doesn't know who's in his kingdom, but he knows who's in God's. <laughs> he does not care about those that are in his kingdom. They may be serving him, but he don't care about them. He don't care. Who are you? And he gets out there and he beats him up. If that's not a kingdom divided, what is it? They're beating up on each other. So the seven sons of Sceva get beat up. And uh, it does not go well for them even from there. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, and there's only one. There's only one evil spirit. Remember, Jesus ran into one that had quite a few. Legion. This one just has one. But it's the man who jumps on, not the evil spirit. He's empowered by the evil spirit. But the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them. Who them? The seven sons of Sceva. One guy beat up seven. And prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, I, I, I've tried to get this picture in my head trying to figure out what this is. But I don't know. How do you have a fight? And while you're fighting, try and strip the guy from all his clothes. I mean, that's not, that's not generally a goal in fighting. When you are fighting, you are simply trying to put the, the, the punch onto something that matters. Not take off his clothes. But this man, by the power of the evil spirit, was able to beat up all seven and take their clothes off. And send them out naked. They were humiliated. 
Now that's uh, that's quite a, quite a kingdom to work for, isn't it? Well, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's not the purpose that the devil had. They weren't trying to magnify God. They're just trying to protect what was theirs. This is we're going to be in here. And you're bringing out that name of Jesus and, and Paul preaches. We didn't necessarily like that. We were okay with you guys coming in. You want to bind us up for a week or two? That's okay. We're, we're, we're willing to do that. But you want to cast us out now? In the name of Jesus? I don't know who you are. Get into the kingdom of God. And the devil will know who you are. So it became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Well, when fear falls on people and Jesus is magnified, it's a good thing. There's a lot of times that fear falls on people and the devil is magnified. And that's not a good thing. You ever watch, uh, well, you don't have to raise your hand about this, but you ever watch those shows, you know, Exorcists and, and stuff like that and demonic things? I don't watch them. Um, but people who do, what Hollywood is doing is they are elevating the the view of Satan and his kingdom to the point where they get scared. There's no reason we need to be scared of evil spirits because who's in us is greater. And it doesn't matter that they know who we are. It matters that they know who Jesus is. And it matters that we know who Jesus is. That's all that needs to come to play there. So as we said, this, these guys... Had a method they used, but added something to it. They're either, they either are trying to protect what they have or gain what they are missing. They're trying to protect the business they have or gain what they are missing in doing the business that they have. They're, doing, they're trying to go after something. As we already told you here, we are not called, commanded, or tasked with exercising demons, but to cast them out. That's our role. If you run into sickness and disease, what do you do? Cast it out. Don't pray for them. Cast it out. If you run into demon spirits, what do you do? Cast it out. Don't pray for them. Cast it out. Ekbalo. Yeah. That's all we got to do. So he goes on. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. I was going to look that up, and I neglected to. But obviously, that's a lot of money. 50,000 pieces of silver. They, just because they saw what was going on. Just because they saw what was happening here. Now, we've had a, a couple of uh, sermons that Paul has preached. We've had some of the the things, the discourses that he's had. We see that he deals with sickness. He deals with demon spirits. We do not one time see Paul preaching about the evils of incantations. We do not one time see Paul preaching about the evils of worshiping Diana. We don't see one time Paul preaching the evils of going after any idol or the fallacy of it or what's wrong with it. All we ever have Paul doing in whatever city he goes into no matter how idolatrous the city is, all he does is preach Jesus. That's it. He preaches Jesus, 
and he demonstrates the power of God. And that's all. And these people who have been in these cities with very strong influences of idols, all kinds of witchcraft, things going on in the city, as soon as they hear the gospel and see the power of God, recognize it as being right. We don't have to disprove all the religions of the world. We simply preach Jesus. Demonstrate the power of God. Cast out evil spirits. Cast out sickness and disease. That's all we do. Don't worry about the rest of it. Don't sit there and try and uh, figure out, well, what's wrong with Buddha? What's wrong with the uh, Islamic religion? What's wrong with the, this, this group over here or that group over here? We don't need to do all that. Just preach Jesus. Let's get out there and preach Jesus. That's where our goal is. Every once in a while, Paul found somebody in the church who was teaching something erroneous, and he would address it. But as far as we don't find, ever find him condemning idolaters, condemning Diana, or any such thing as, as that. He just focused on preaching Jesus. We can certainly learn some things from that. Well, it's been kind of easy for Paul here so far. You know, I can't, be, can't stay that way for too long. Put this at the end of your section there. You want to check on the source for whatever it is that's going on. Look at whose, mag- whose name is magnified. Look at whose name is magnified. If it's the name of Jesus, then you know where the source is. Sometimes some people in the church have gotten to magnify themselves, not the name of Jesus. And that's not good. When you find out the source, look at who's magnified. Verse one, uh, 21. When these things were accomplished, all this stuff was done, and, uh, and all these people brought all these books, and 50,000 pieces of silver worth of material was burned. That, you know, that'll, that'll do something. That's a lot of fire. That's a lot of attention. People are going, what are they burning? Well, we're burning all of our, 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 our Diana incantation books or uh, witchcraft books or whatever it is. We're burning them all up. Well, that's going to have an effect on some people because it affects money. So when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And if you have your third... Uh, missionary trip, we can put that back on up there and see some of the places where he is, he is going. When he starts out on this third missionary trip, he leaves Antioch and he goes through some of the places where he had already been. He comes back over here into uh, Ephesus. He goes back up through the region of, of Asia to get over to Macedonia. He goes back through here and he ministers to a lot of the, the, the cities that are there and then works his way Back up, uh, back up in there. He's going to come again into the area of Ephesus, but he doesn't want to stop at Ephesus because he, he'll, he'll take too much time. So he comes over here to this, uh, this place, uh, Miletus, I think it was. And then he's going to head on back over here and then come on down to Jerusalem. And that's where he's going to end up from there. Of course, he's going to sail over to Rome. But that's the third missionary trip and where it is that he's going. So what it's saying is that he has purposed to go to Rome. And so in order to do that, he's going to, uh, first off, he's going to come up in through here before he 
he heads out to, to do all those things. And so we're going to be seeing that. This is where we're going in this chapter and the next chapter. And I believe the one after that. So when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he leaves Ephesus. I'll go back up to that map. I'm sorry. He leaves Ephesus. And as he's going through Macedonia and Achaia, as he's going through here is when he purposes to go back over to to Jerusalem and then over to Rome. And then he comes back over this way to, to do so. So I have that picture in your head. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are not, they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana, of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So they stirred everybody up because they're losing money. You make the idols, you put the idols in the store, the store sells the idols to people, and the store orders more idols, you get to make some more idols. If the store stops selling the idols, they stop ordering the idols. If they're not ordering the idols, then you stop making the idols. If you aren't making and selling the idols, you're not making money. So it affects them. And so they begin to they see the downside. They see that Paul has been preaching this message in Asia. People are getting hold of it. Once they get hold of it, they're not buying the idols. They're not going to the temple. They're not worshiping Diana. Less and less people are worshiping Diana. It's having an effect. Can you imagine that? They prohibit it all to one person. This Paul has gone through Asia. This Paul has gone through Asia. And people are not worshiping our God anymore. And we can't have that. We've got we to gotta do something about that and, and get people to keep on, on buying this. We're selling some, but we're not selling what we used to. So what would happen was that uh, people would come down to Ephesus. You know, if you were a, a worshiper of Diana, and this is the great city of Diana, uh, Ephesus. And so every once in a while, you'd take a pilgrimage, and you'd go on out there to Ephesus, and you'd worship Diana as they would worship Diana. And, uh, and you'd go on down there in the gift shop, and you'd get a little, mem- a little token of your trip. You know, just like you can go over to New York City, and you can go into the Empire State Building, and you can bring home a little Empire State Building. <laughs> you go into the temple, you worship the great goddess Diana, and you can bring home a little goddess Diana for your home and have your, you know, little memento of your trip of all the different things that you had done there in the temple. And, of course, uh, maybe some people would not want to have brought the memento home because of some of the things that would have been done in the temple. Maybe the wife would have been saying, what kind of things did you do in the temple? And they may not want to say what they had done in the temple. And, but whatever it was, uh, they're not doing as much on the idol trade. Uh, they're not exporting as much to other cities. They are not um, selling as much in the, in the place there, and so business is not booming. 
and the idol sales fall. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia who were, not, who were, who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. No good can come of this, Paul. Don't go out there into the theater. So there, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> Everybody's here, so they all just all, well, everybody's here. I guess we should be here. Why are we here? What are we doing? And they drew, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew... All with one voice cried out for about two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, some of the people in the crowd don't even know why they're here. But because everybody's crying out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. They all cry out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Conformity is an easy thing. It really is. How many, anybody get out there and watch that movie called uh, uh, The Dead Poet Society? Anybody remember seeing that one? Anybody not see the Dead Poet Society as a movie? Uh, Robin, it's Robin Williams' first serious movie. I love one of my favorite scenes in there is in the courtyard when he brings them all out in the courtyard and he just tells he pulls out about uh, three of them I think it was, and he says just walk any way you want to walk you just walk, and so uh, they just started moseying around there and after a while you know one mimicked another and pretty soon they were all three walking exactly the same, in the same direction going in the same way. And everybody in the, on the side, the side was uh, clapping their hands to the beat of how they were walking. And uh, Robin Williams was just kind of feeding into the whole thing. And it went on for a little while. And a couple of teachers were looking out the courtyard, seeing this thing that was going out. And, of course, they didn't really like the whole thing so much. And after they got all done, they stopped it. And they, uh, he began to talk about it. He says, now, when you first started, you had your walk. And he talked about each one of them and their personalities and how it came out in their walk. But he said, after a while, you all began to conform. And you became like each other. And then he turned to the crowd. And he says, and don't any of you think you would have been any different if you think that. Ask yourself this. Why were you clapping? It's a powerful moment in the thing. And what he was encouraging him says, don't conform. Be yourself. Think for yourself. And it was a, it was a wonderful lesson. Of course, the school didn't take to it very well. They wanted to teach conformity. And he was trying to teach them to be independent thinkers and to get them to do that. I loved what, the, what they were trying to do that. But it, we are, it's so easy for us to get to conformity. It's very hard to stand up against the crowd. And this is what they um, found here. And they began to, cr- to cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And people who didn't even know why they were there began to cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Well, they're all kind of mad if I don't say this. They may, uh, you know, they may say, how come you aren't chiming in here? And I could get the wrath of the crowd, and so it's just easier to, to do that. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, now this amazes me. Who is this clerk? Have you ever seen a city clerk? Most times a city clerk is kind of a meek, mild-mannered person. I mean, they're a city clerk. <laughs> but anyway, this city clerk was able to quiet a, a uh, raving, mad out-of-control crowd. He must have been quite a clerk. Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of, of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? <laughs> wonder who sold them that bill of goods, huh? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet 
and do nothing rashly. These things cannot be denied. Isn't that amazing? We just make these statements. We got this uh, image that fell down from Zeus. Anybody see it fall down from Zeus? Anybody seen Zeus? Now, if these things cannot be denied, always be careful of people who want to proclaim things that no one has ever seen and saying that you can't deny them. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Understand what he's telling them here. These men have come into this city. They have not taken a single thing from your temple and not said a word about your goddess. Paul did not come into this town to preach against Diana. He came into the town to preach Jesus. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. He knows exactly where all this thing started. I think it's pretty amazing he was able to get all that figured out. If they, if they say that Paul has taken something from them, stolen something from them, we got courts, bring it in there. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. Not out here in the courts. Not out here where it's a mad, mad thing every person for themselves. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account, give to account for this disorderly gathering. So what he's saying here is this. If Rome hears that we've got this big thing going on, we're going to get Rome's attention. And if Rome thinks they need to send people here, it's not going to be a good thing. You have brought this on us. If you've got something, Rome has set up courts, that has set up the law, you need to follow in that area. If not, this is not the place to do it, and the attention we get won't be good. And when he had finished, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. <laughs> and apparently they went. <laughs> I mean, really, what kind of a clerk is this guy? I'd, I'd really like to find that out because he's um, he certainly has a, a power with the crowd here. So here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. Wherever it is that we go, whether it's at work, whether uh, where, wherever it is, the thing that we need to do is to preach Jesus. Above all things, preach Jesus. Don't worry about the different type of idolatries, things that are coming on. Don't feel like, well, we've got the homosexual movement going on and the gay marriage thing. Don't feel like we have to, to uh, do all these things against this and be for, against this and be against that and be against this. Just be for what God says. We don't have to be against people that are, are not going after God. They are they're not going after God. They're simply not. We will proclaim... It's the wrong way. I don't, I, don't, I don't get in board with ministers who, who will not publicly stand up and say that the Word of God says homosexuality is wrong. Abortion is wrong. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. We need people that will stand up there in public and, say, and declare these things, but we don't have to declare it in such a way that we put everybody else down. We simply proclaim the way of truth. We are not going to force anybody to go in the way of truth. They have to make that choice in themselves. Just like you had to make that choice for yourself. 
If a person is going to make a choice and live in a gay lifestyle, that's the choice that they're going to make. They will reap the benefits of that. But that's the choice that they're going to make. What we do need to do, though, is to stand up for those who are victims of people like this. I still would stand up for, for people who are, are trying to adopt. They need to be husband and wife. They need to have the male and the female. I don't like this thing that uh, Johnny has two daddies. That's, that's not a good situation. That, that's not a choice that that child is going to be making. But there are some things that we need to, to stand up for and to do. But some people, they're going to kill their babies. And it's sad. It's a horrible thing. I wish that they wouldn't do it. But we have to preach Jesus. We have to preach the love of God. And the love of God doesn't mean that he overlooks all these things. The love of God says that when you do these things, God will still bring you into his family and forgive you those things. But you need to change. You need to repent. You can't hold on to your old lifestyle and follow after God. But you need to let go of some of these things. And of course, we get back to that, what kind of rules do we have for unsaved people when they get born again? Do we have no rules? We have some rules. But it's important. And we have to come in some, some situation. We need to begin to listen to the Spirit of God on these things. But the thing we can take from this and from Paul is wherever place that you go, whatever city you go into, whatever job you go into, preach Jesus. Live Jesus. Don't feel it is your responsibility to disprove every false notion that people have. Show them your joy. Show them your peace. Show them that you walk in victory over sickness and disease, over oppression, over demon spirits. You walk in victory over it. And they're eventually going to be looking at that and say, you know what? This, this is right. This is truth. By the way that you live. By the way that you go about things. You don't have to preach against all the great Dianas of the day. We simply preach Jesus. And stay with the gospel. There are too many ministers out there, too many people in the body of Christ who are too willing to compromise what the Word of God says for the purpose of getting converts. What the Bible says we need to do, we need to do. If it says you need to leave a certain lifestyle, you need to leave that lifestyle. You need to, says you need to stop doing some things, well, you need to get yourself to that place where you stop doing those things. That's the, that's the direction you need to be set on. But in the meantime... Keep following after God, and God will help you get over those particular things. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to preach a message of good news, a message that brings gladness to the hearers, not a message of oppression, not a message of bondage. Father, a message of joy and peace. Father, you love us, even in our sins. And after we get born again and we're still falling into the sins, you still love us. But you lead us in a direction to get out of them. And that's what we need to follow. Father, I thank you that you help every one of us here to be examples, to be lights in this world. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.